Welcome back to ABI Podcast. I'm John Hartgen, ABI's Public Affairs Officer. This podcast is the second part of a conversation between ABI Editor-at-Large Bill Rochelle with a special guest, former ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano. The first part of the conversation looked at Sam's career arc toward bankruptcy law, his move to Capitol Hill, and his work with Senator Grassley in passing Chapter 12. This podcast will feature Sam's perspectives on the growth and evolution of ABI, the origins of small business subchapter five, and what bankruptcy proposals might be considered on the Hill in the near future. Now let's return to the conversation between Bill and Sam. Well, Sam, what was your next encounter with bankruptcy? Oh, well, um, you know, the committee, of course, had jurisdiction over many, many things and uh, besides bankruptcy. And so I spent the majority of my time uh, on on those other uh, issues that were the meat and potatoes of the of the committee. And and one of those issues, I know we have talked separately about this, was our our, uh, uh, series of uh, one after the other Supreme Court confirmation hearings. Um, which were in the committee. And uh, at the time I had been promoted to uh, chief counsel of the committee. And so those were my responsibilities as well. And anytime we had one of those, and as I said, we had, I think six in five years or five and six years, something like that. Uh, there was, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of work uh, to be done. And, and, um, and that really occupied a lot of our time. But uh, we did work on some other bankruptcy uh, matters, and um, and again, we're able to get bipartisan, uh, you know, achievements and successes on uh, things like um, uh, uh, adjusting the retirement system for bankruptcy judges. We increased their salary uh, as well. We uh, passed uh, Section eleven fourteen of the bankruptcy code, which dealt with the uh, treatment of um, uh, collective bargaining and uh, health and benefits in bankruptcy, 1113 and 1114 were, were variously mirror images uh, of each other. All those came through our committee. Uh, and they, those were all bipartisan, um, you know, matters. And so, you know, through all of those bills, uh, I became uh, kind of known to the bankruptcy community and I knew, uh, I knew them. Um, and uh, so, you know, later on, that would, you know, uh, prove to be uh, pretty influential in, you know, the, the sort of the last stage of my uh, career in bankruptcy. And next. <laughs> well, okay, so now we're fast forwarding, we're through all the Supreme Court, you know, uh, kerfuffles, uh, the last one being Clarence Thomas, which I thought that was a good one to leave on. It can't get any worse than this. Little did I know. <laughs> little did I know it could. Um, um, but I, you know, things were changing at home. Uh, my my wife Michelle was taking time off from her practice as a government lawyer to raise uh, our 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 one. We had one daughter at the time. We had another child on the way. And um, you know, Senator Grassley is a great guy. Um, I admire him immensely. Uh, he is a true conservative, uh, and that comes to his uh, uh, f- 
feeling uh, and his philosophy and on salaries. <laughs> so I was uh, I was pretty lowly paid uh, among my uh, colleagues, uh, chief counsel colleagues. Uh, he was a true fiscal conservative. Uh, I used to joke he has the first dollar he ever made still in his pocket. Um, uh, so the, it it came time for me to get my hill ticket punched and and uh, move on. Uh, you know, to something, something else. And I considered a couple of things, in, including other uh, government sector jobs. Um, uh, but ultimately, um, you know, the opportunity presented itself to take over a uh, fled, then fledgling uh, organization that was a, a nonprofit that was engaged in bankruptcy policy, uh, American Bankruptcy Institute. And I happened well to they happen to know many of the leaders, and so they they talked to me, and and uh, and they persuaded me to to become executive director in 1991. Well, let's talk about American Bankruptcy Institute in uh, 1991. You said it was a fledgling organization, and if I remember correctly, you didn't yet have its flight feathers. What was ABI like at the time? How many people on the staff? Well, How many members? What was the budget? They were, uh, we, ABI had been founded in 1983, I believe, 82, 83, um, incorporated in the state of Nebraska. Um, it was a startup, even you know, eight years later. Um, we had three staff, full-time staff people. Um, we were in a tiny uh, townhouse office on Capitol Hill, ironically enough, just steps from my former office in the Hart Senate office building. Um, but it was a startup. We had um, maybe three, I think three computers, uh, two printers, um, maybe 3000 members, although our record keeping uh, wasn't the greatest. Um, we had unaudited financials, budget was under a million dollars. Um, so, you know, it was a startup, but importantly, uh, bankruptcy practice was really beginning to grow and people not certainly well, well beyond me had a vision that this organization really could become something if it were uh, allowed to grow and be nurtured. And so, and that's, and that's what our leaders at the time uh, did. And they gave me a, uh, a big rope uh, to do what I thought uh, would be right to help us grow and become uh, influential in the bankruptcy system. And, uh, you know, over time, we were, we were able to grow and, and, and do that. Well, Sam, going back to the early 1990s, when you had your feet on the ground, got an idea of what ABI was like. <laughs> what did you at the time envision for ABI? What did you think it could become? Well, I think I think we had a shared vision among the, the, the leadership at the time. And as I said, I, I had talked to these folks um, while I had, uh, you know, worked, worked on the Hill. Um, they would, ABI was a, a resource that I used um, actually in, in developing chapter 12. There were people who were ABI members who were among the experts that I sought out for advice about ways we could approach solutions. So I knew what 
you know, what the capabilities were of a member-based, member-driven professional organization. And, um, you know, I, you know, the idea I think was to be kind of a think tank, um, to not to be different from other Washington organizations that had a lobbying agenda, that had a parochial financial interest, uh, which was decidedly narrow, we would look at the system holistically. Uh, that would be uh, uh, provide benefits to everybody in the system, all the stakeholders around the table uh, in, in bankruptcy. And, you know, that had a lot of appeal uh, to people who, you know, saw bankruptcy as an important and emerging policy area. And, um, and we provided opportunities for those members to become more engaged, uh, both in, in policy issues uh, that were going on in Washington and also in, in areas that were going on in their practice, that they could write about uh, issues in both consumer and commercial bankruptcy. We would be a vehicle that would publish them and it would improve uh, the practice and it would prove, uh, improve the ability of, of people to serve uh, their clients, uh, no matter what discipline they were in, whether they were uh, lawyers, bankers, lenders, credit managers, trustees, uh, or judges. Um, we had a lot of uh, involvement from uh, the judiciary right from that start. We're very grateful for that. Uh, many of the just leaders, giants of the bankruptcy bench at the time uh, were really active in ABI and it really helped me uh, personally um, and, and really provided a, you know, a comfort zone for our members that they were going to be able to uh, have an impact for their clients because of the people that we were um, attracting uh, to, to our community. Well, you know, going back to the early 1990s, comparing it to today. I mean, today ABI has got a program somewhere in the country once or twice a month. I mean, I just can't keep up with them. There's so many of them. I'm glad I don't have to keep up with it. <laughs> well, going back to the 1990s, how many programs did you think ABI might be able to amount back at that time? Well, it's, it started small, um, but we didn't have a, um, a, a limit on our, on our kind of uh, uh, horizon. We didn't, we didn't say, oh, we can only do five, or we can only do six, or we can only do 10, or that's enough. Um, you know, we, we, as our membership grew, and it grew substantially and rapidly, um, we had a lot more uh, folks who were uh, pulling on the oars. And they wanted to do things, and they wanted to do things in their in their regions uh, that uh, in, put them in contact with, you know, judges in their uh, communities and their circuits where they practiced. And so we developed kind of a model of these regional programs uh, that really just took off. Uh, one in the northeast, one in the southeast, one in the southwest, one in the northwest, uh, one in the central uh, part of the country, and. Um, you know, it provided tremendous opportunities uh, for engagement for people, um, both senior professionals as well as young uh, practitioners who needed experience and who, 
you know, needed, um, you know, to engage with, you know, colleagues from different parts of the country uh, to become better uh, pr professionals. So it really, you know, simply developed organically um, at a time when interest in bankruptcy and bankruptcy cases were exploding. Um, you know, it, 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 just, it just grew. And we had great volunteer leaders, um, uh, many of whom I acknowledge in my, in my piece, you know, in, in the law review, uh, too many to, you know, to mention, but uh, we've had, you know, 25 presidents uh, of the ABI over the years. And, you know, they've all uh, stepped up. Uh, nobody gets paid, just, just us staff get paid. Everybody's a volunteer and, and they do it, you know, really for the, for the good of the cause and for the good of the community. And it's, you know, it's, it's uh, something, uh, you know, and I look back now, you know, you know, 30 years later, you know, it really is, um, it really is impressive, whatever minor role, you know, I may have had. In oh, Sam, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You are far too modest. To have listened to you right now, it would have seemed that these ideas, like a mushroom, just grew up overnight in the ABI backyard. That ain't so. <laughs> you put them together. That's what did it. Now, you know, I, I, I just, <laughs> well, you know, well, I, I worked with you for four years. That was long enough to know that the revolutions that you brought to the organization just didn't happen magically. You know, it was you, Sam, who got the things done. Uh, you might have hear about, heard about an idea, but goodness gracious, you made it work. You put it together. You found the financing. And everyone in the bankruptcy business owes a great debt of gratitude for what you have done to the organization. And I must say, even, I guess it was just after uh, you left ABI, went into retirement, there was some miraculous legislation that came out of Congress uh, at the time. And a little bird told me once that maybe the former executive director of ABI actually had something to do with it. Now, Sam, I'm not going to ask you whether that was true, whether subchapter five was really your baby uh, to which you gave birth. I won't ask you to admit or deny that, but could you tell us, Sam, how was it that such a urgently needed piece of legislation such as subchapter five and some of the related legislation got through Congress as quickly as it did? Well, again, there were a lot of hands um, uh, in, involved. Um, the, the concept uh, of a special provisions for small business uh, actually were an outgrowth of the ABI chapter 11 commission uh, which was really, you know, an extraordinary uh, experience, uh, you know, for me, um, watching uh, you know, these 22 uh, incredibly dedicated um, bright lights of the bankruptcy profession 
check their clients' interests at the door, uh, devote um, years of uh, study and uh, thought uh, to, to making the recommendations that were ultimately produced in the 400-page report, which was so elegantly uh, drafted by uh, Michelle Harner, now a bankruptcy judge, um, uh, who was our reporter. By the way, I have to interrupt right here because you mentioned Michelle Harner's name. Uh, she was a magnificent professor at Maryland before she was appointed to the bench. And I have been reading her opinions. No one in the country writes better opinions than she. And if anybody deserves to be on the third or the fourth circuits, it is Michelle Harner. So Sam, if you ever have a chance to needle somebody to get her on the circuit bench, please do. But that having been said, uh, let's continue because I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you this question. Yes, the ABI Commission did spectacular work, essentially almost drafting what turned out to be subchapter five, but how did it get through Congress? Well, um, you know, obviously it starts with the idea, it starts with the concept. Um, serendipitously, uh, uh, again, looking up, up, up to the hill, my former boss, uh, Senator Grassley, uh, then became chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And so uh, that was a bit of good fortune um, that we had a, uh, a friendly uh, ear uh, who would be interested and knowledgeable about the kinds of uh, things that bankruptcy could do to uh, help financial uh, distress. Um, and so, you know, I met with his staff um, you know, early on, uh, even before he became a chairman, uh, you know, right after the election, to say, hey, this is, this is coming. And even though, um, you know, the economy was uh, not in a crisis uh, at, at that point, our message was, um, you know, you should make bankruptcy changes, not when there's a crisis, but make them when the waters are relatively calm because if it if it if you wait for a crisis then all of the the lobbying interests and the special interests uh, will just tear the thing up and there'll be so much special pleading that you know you won't be able to do something that is good for the system good for everybody debtors and creditors alike so uh, to those who said, oh, you know, the economy's fine. What, you know, nobody's worried about bankruptcy. Well, you know, what, what, you know, chapter 11's fine. You know, everybody's, uh, people are making money. Uh, let, let's not, you know, upset the, uh, upset the, the flow here. Um, but to their credit, they were willing to, you know, to listen. And so we get, we got hearings. Uh, we got hearings in the Senate. We got them in the house uh, ultimately. Um, and, and we found the audience was, you know, receptive. Um, the uh, co-chair of the Chapter 11 Commission, Bob Keach, uh, who also contributed a, a great piece to the Law Review uh, special issue, uh, you know, was a dynamic force, uh, you know, with uh, the staffers in the House and Senate explaining to them uh, as a bankruptcy professional, he was, he was involved in these cases and he knew he could explain how they were failing um, and what their potential 
could be if they just simply had a few more tools in the bankruptcy toolkit. And so we, we presented the, the small business uh, uh, option as a model to provide those additional remedies. And it had, you know, it had a lot of appeal, a bipartisan appeal. Everybody's got small businesses, you know, in their district, obviously, or in their state. Uh, so again, much like the, the farm experience back in the 80s, you know, there was some core appeal here um, that, didn't, that didn't limit itself to a narrow or partisan, you know, interest, uh, but was system-wide. And um, so, you know, we, we found an audience and, and to their credit, um, we had uh, active bill sponsors beyond Senator Grassley, uh, who, you know, who really were very helpful in getting uh, the thing around the bases and, 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 and none too soon, because as it turns out, of course, um, uh, very consequentially, the economy you know, dramatically turned and, 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 uh, you know, we, we needed, uh, a remedy. And, and in fact, as you alluded to earlier, um, the need is, is really going to be, uh, profound once all of the, the government funding over the last, you know, several years, uh, when that, you know, runs out and it will, uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, financial stress, uh, in the commercial sector, and they're going to need—they're going to need an option, a bankruptcy option. And well, that's exactly so there's, right. There's, there's, uh, you know, we we at the commission we had recommended a, a debt limit of ten million dollars. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't get them all the way to ten million, um, but you know, Congress does things incrementally, and and you know, so you know, we we got it small to start, and it 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 bucked up you know, as part of the pandemic uh, uh, legislation. And now I think uh, the chances are reasonable that, that we can get the number, you know, up to something close to what, you know, the commission initially recommended. Yeah. Well, I must say for the benefit of our listeners who were not intimately involved in bankruptcy, Sam just now has been talking about the Small Business Reorganization Act, which uh, made what is known as subchapter five of chapter 11. And the background for this is that the traditional chapter 11 is really designed only for very large companies. Small businesses with a few million dollars in revenue simply cannot afford chapter 11. It is also too complex and no small business can get through a typical traditional old fashioned chapter 11, but Sam, your subchapter five meets the need. It's been around now for a couple of years and there are thousands. I forget last time I heard it was like 2,500 subchapter five cases filed in this country since enactment. That's uh, 10 times more than the traditional chapter 11 cases and they're working. And the marvelous thing about this is there is relatively little litigation in subchapter five. It just gets done. People work it out. And you all had that brilliant idea in subchapter five of having a trustee who is not the adversary. No, quite to the contrary, but is basically the advisor, the mediator who helps the debtor get it done. It's the most dramatic 
bankruptcy legislation that has ever been passed in this country. And I do not exaggerate. And like you said, Sam, if we run into a recession, there are going to be thousands of these cases a year and they're gonna save businesses, they're gonna save the owners and better than that, it's gonna save the jobs of the people who work at these businesses. Now, Sam, you mentioned something about the debt limit, which is $7,500,000 right now for a subchapter five small business reorganization. But if I recall correctly, I think it's in March that it is scheduled to revert to two and a half million dollars, which unfortunately is gonna make small business reorganization unavailable for the companies who really need it. Do you see that there is much chance of getting the seven and a half million dollars retained or perhaps even raised? I think so. Um, again, I'm not working this on a day-to-day -day basis, but um, in talking to people who are uh, involved in it, I know there's, you know, they know about the deadlines, obviously. Um, and you know, there is historical precedent here uh, in, in even in the bankruptcy arena for extensions of uh, legislation that is about to expire. Uh, that happened with chapter 12 several times uh, where we had to extend. Um, chapter 12 originally was just a temporary uh, statute um, was simply just to get through the farm crisis. And, and then ultimately it became extended several times and then ultimately a part of the permanent code. And, you know, chances are, uh, you know, this kind of thing uh, can repeat itself um, and keeping the number at least where it is. And then ultimately, you know, getting it uh, where it will be ready to be deployed in a way which will maximize its effectiveness when that um, economic uh, recession comes. And, you know, we all know it's coming. And so, again, having this uh, done now so that it's ready to be deployed uh, right from the outset uh, will really stand it in good stead for everybody. I mean, Bob Keach would famously uh, tell uh, staffers on the Hill, he testified uh, in, in Congress to this effect, that this was, the, this was the jobs bill that didn't cost the government anything. Um, it didn't, there's no appropriation. There's, there's no federal money here. Uh, it's just using the existing law to preserve businesses and those jobs. And I think he was absolutely right. And I think it was a, a great, again, a, a part of its appeal uh, across the aisle that this was something that was simply existent and we just needed to think creatively about ways to deploy it uh, to its best effect. Yeah. By the way, Sam, you talked about how that bill was a jobs act that doesn't cost the government a nickel. I might add that the entire bankruptcy system doesn't cost taxpayers or the government a nickel. The bankruptcy system is fully paid for, and I do not exaggerate, by the bankruptcy filing fees and also by the fees that are charged for access to the PACER electronic docking system. Not only does bankruptcy pay for itself, it also pays for the bulk of the entire federal judiciary. I mean, that's astonishing. So God bless bankruptcy. <laughs> Congress can give as many 
resources as Congress wants to give. It ain't going to cost the taxpayer a nickel. Well, Sam, this has been a spectacular, marvelous, well, nearly an hour that we spent with you now. I learned a lot of things I never knew about, but I guess might have guessed about. Um, I hope you're pleased for enlargement of subchapter five come to fruition. If I have a guest, there might be somebody working behind the scenes when need be <laughs> to get it done. I won't say who that person is, but it Don't could be somebody. On... Don't look behind the curtain. <laughs> well, you know, some, sometimes it's a best to operate below the radar. And that's what, Sam, you have done so magnificently, both for the ABI and with regard to legislation for all these years. And I thank you very much for what you have done and what you will do. And with that, John Hartkin, I give it back to you. And Sam, good day. Thank, thanks to you, Bill. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the conclusion of the interview between Bill and Sam. Both podcasts of this interview, along with 200 other episodes featuring key bankruptcy figures, are available in the podcast section of ABI's newsroom. Thank you again for listening to this edition of ABI Podcast. Stay safe and have a wonderful day.